Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a verse-by-verse study through Ephesians, and in the previous message I was in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 8, which is a follow-up to verse 7. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, he speaks about forgiveness, where it says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. And in the previous message, I was speaking about the subject of wisdom and prudence in a general way. And what I was explaining was that there are disagreements concerning the subject of forgiveness in the Christian world. But it's important to recognize that regardless of what you think about forgiveness, we have a God, and He is the one who defines forgiveness, its significance, its purpose. He is the one who does that. And according to verse 7, we have forgiveness. It is not something that we need to try to obtain. It is something that we must embrace and then discover the implications of that forgiveness. Unfortunately, what most people are doing is they are trying to apply their own wisdom, their own idea of prudence when it comes to the subject of forgiveness and, in effect, what eventually happens through all kinds of theological gymnastics. People come to conclusions that suggest that we do not have Forgiveness, and this is how you know. You know because a person will ask for forgiveness. When they ask for forgiveness, this means they don't believe that they already have forgiveness. God has forgiven us in order to establish a new relationship with us according to a new covenant that is founded on the principle that he will remember our sins no more. And this is the foundation that God uses in order to build an entirely new way of life, which is a life of discovery of what we have in Christ Jesus because of his forgiveness and a discovery of how we are to now live with what we have in Christ Jesus because he forgave us of all of our sins. We now have an inheritance that we are able to live with, and this inheritance that we have, all that we have in Christ Jesus, is what will make a change and transformation within our person, within our lives, because we are empty and obviously very needy people who were designed by God to have a need for things such as love and acceptance, And these are the things that drive us into a life of rejection of God and the indulgence of the flesh. 
But if we will be able to rest in the love and acceptance of God that has been given to us because of the complete forgiveness of sins, then this will set us free from trying to get our needs met, our deep-rooted spiritual needs met through the indulgence of the flesh. This will set us free from sin, but it will also enable us to walk in a newness of life of peace and rest, and we will also begin to know the person of our God. All of this is possible because of the foundation of forgiveness. But when you have people who have been promoting and believing the idea that we are not really forgiven, then all of these things remain a mystery. What the new life in Christ is, is a mystery. That's what it is. It's a mystery to people because they are holding on to the very things that will keep a person from understanding the mystery that has been revealed by God already. And that, of course, has to do with the life in Christ Jesus and the purposes that he is accomplishing. And so in this program, I'm going to move forward into verses 9 and 10. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 9, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. Paul goes on and he describes a mystery that has now been made known, that has now been revealed. And we have the opportunity to discover and understand and live in accordance with the mystery that has been revealed, to live in an understanding of the purposes that God has. That's the end of verse 9, which he purposed in himself for his good pleasure. This is the description of a mystery that he has now revealed. But unfortunately, that which you need to know and understand in order to understand the revelation of what has been revealed, those things people are not recognizing, they're not believing. Those things in and of themselves become a mystery. When you don't understand the purposes of God, when you don't understand his purpose, his objective, and how he accomplishes his objectives, when you don't understand what those objectives even are, then just about everything becomes a mystery. Everything becomes a mystery Because you don't believe what he has said. He has made a lot known. In verse 9 again, having made known to us the mystery of his will. He has made a lot known to us. But if we will not believe what he has made known, then those things become a mystery. And everything else that were a bunch of mysteries are now even more mysterious because you can't even reach them. You can't even get to the point of discovering what those purposes were, what God was actually accomplishing. You have no idea what those objectives 
of God are, and so you can have no idea of how he's going to reach those objectives because the very things that he utilized in order to obtain his objectives, to fulfill his purposes for his good pleasure, all of those things remain a total mystery. And people will live their entire lives and die not knowing much of anything. This is a reality that has been in existence for every generation of people ever since Jesus died on the cross. And it will continue to be so. There will only be a few people, very few people, will get past some of these fundamental truths to be able to enter into the revelations of the mysteries of God that have now been revealed. Consider, for example, what is God really trying to accomplish? What is he accomplishing? One of the things that I think is the most important to understand is that God wants people in his life because they genuinely want to be in his life. If you consider something as simple as that, examine those things that you believe and ask yourself the question, do these things contribute to a person being able to move in the direction of having a relationship with God because they want to? Or do they create obstacles that prevent a person from having a relationship with God because they genuinely want to? Are these beliefs clearing the barriers and obstacles, or are they creating obstacles and barriers that keep people from knowing their God and having a relationship with Him because they genuinely want to? Consider the obstacle of sin and forgiveness, just to give you an example. If you do not believe that God does not hold your sins against you anymore, then you may have a sincere desire to be in his life, to have a relationship with him. You may very well have a desire to some extent. You may want that, but you will never be able to achieve it because you are never going to be able to be at peace with God because he will always hold your sins against you in one way or another. The more you pursue a relationship with him on the basis of continually asking for forgiveness, the more you pursue that, the more sincere you are about that, the more you are going to have to accept the consequences of these beliefs, such as God is disgusted with you. He rejects you. He does not accept you. He obviously doesn't love you because you are wicked and evil and sinful and you will never get your flesh under control, you wicked, evil person, you. This is the conclusion. You end up with this kind of a conclusion. So do you really want to be in his life? Do you really want to be close to him? Do you really want to know him and do you want him to know you even more? No. You're not going to want that. These are going to be obstacles and barriers that will keep a person from discovering the mysteries of God that have already been revealed. And so you need to think about that. You need to think about what are his purposes? What are his objectives? And what will it take in order to accomplish those kinds of objectives? Otherwise, these objectives in and of themselves could very well be complete and total mysteries. You will have no idea what he's really trying to accomplish. 
You answer that question. You deal with that question. What is God doing? What is he really doing? And what does he really want? Especially from you. You really ought to consider that question and find the pathway in order to obtain the answer of peace and rest between you and your God. Now, continuing into verse 9, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, the will of God can be described in a number of ways. It can be described as his purposes, his desire for what may take place, what he wants to see happen. That can be one way of understanding the mystery of God in the context of his will. There is another way of understanding this, and that has to do with the description of the inheritance that has been revealed and given to the children of God as a result of his death. That's another way to understand the will of God and that this was a mystery that has now been revealed. But what Paul is really going to get into in this letter to the Ephesians is the revelation of the mystery of how the Jew and the Gentile would become a new creation, a new person in Christ Jesus. And yet all of these different descriptions of the will of God are all interrelated. They're all interconnected. They are all parts of the revelation of the mystery itself. I spent a lot of time at the beginning of this program talking about discovering what he really wants to accomplish What is his desire? What is his will in that case? And I would like to emphasize the importance of having a person turn to him and be in his life because they genuinely want to be in his life and because they really do want to know who he is as a person and have an interactive relationship with him as a person. This can be described as the will of God. It is his desire, it is his will that there be some people in his life like this. To have that kind of a person, though, he cannot decide for them what they want. He cannot be the one who just simply overcomes someone else's will and, in effect, take away from them the option of choice. He cannot take away choice and free will from anyone to have this kind of a relationship that, from what I can tell, he is genuinely wanting to have, that this is his purpose in all that he is doing here, to have you in his life because you want to, because you are free to choose to have him in your life, to be in his life, or to reject his existence entirely. So from the point of view of his desire, from the point of view of his will, and this being a mystery, it is a mystery to most because most people don't even recognize, they have no idea that this is something that God would like to have with them. Just to get past that kind of a mystery is a serious obstacle in the lives of a lot of people. The mystery of his will in the sense of the inheritance that he has given is another profound mystery because most people are thinking about their relationship with God as a relationship such that they are continually pursuing something from him, 
constantly asking him for something, that he only exists to hopefully one day give them something, do something for them, not realizing what he has already given and what he has already done. This is a mystery that has been revealed in the context of a will that describes an inheritance that you have received as a result of his death. In another letter that Paul wrote in Colossians, which I don't like to refer to other books when going through a letter such as this in a verse-by-verse study, but in this case I will, in Colossians chapter 1, verses 26 to 27, he speaks about another mystery that has now been revealed, and that is Christ in you, your hope of glory. He's talking about salvation, that even the gospel itself... What salvation is, is a mystery that has been revealed, and yet it is very difficult to find people who have any idea what that is. You ask a person, what is the gospel? And it's very unusual to find anyone who can make a connection between the forgiveness of sins, the restoration of the Holy Spirit, the fact that Christ is in you, which is your hope of glory, that being made spiritually alive is your salvation. This is a mystery that very few people have discovered, which means that it remains a mystery for them. The revelation of that mystery remains very much unknown by most people in every generation that has existed and that will continue to exist, but especially right now. You go around and you ask people, what is your understanding of the gospel? What is the good news that has been proclaimed through Christ Jesus? And you'll discover that it is very unusual to encounter anyone who has any idea what it means to have Christ in you what it means to be saved through the restoration of the Holy Spirit to make you spiritually alive. And yet this is necessary in order to understand the mystery that Paul is unraveling here in the book of Ephesians, part of which is the restoration of the Holy Spirit. This goes on into being made into a new creation in Christ Jesus, a new person. But you see, it's not just about the Jew becoming a new person or a child of God. It's also the Gentile becoming a new person, a child of God, and they both become the same kind of person. They become a new creation. The new creation is a new person entirely. The Jew has to become one of these new creations, and the Gentile has to become one of these new creations. They both become the same kind of person. That is the mystery that Paul is going to be referring to here in Ephesians, is the new person, the new man, that both the Jew and the Gentile become, So that when you become this new person, you are no longer a Jew if you were a Jew before. You are no longer a Gentile if you were a Gentile before. Now, of course, this has to do with the definition. And in some cases, of course, you're still a Jew. If you consider it from a nationalistic point of view, if you consider it according to your genealogy, There are different definitions, but according to the definition of the gospel... 
There is a new creation such that there is no Jew and there is no Gentile. They both become a new person. This is a way that God has unified the Jew and the Gentile, which means the Jew and the non-Jew. He has unified everyone in the world, everyone who has existed, who is saved by God, who is a new creation in Christ Jesus. Every generation has a small collection of people who will be saved by God, and these are the people who are the new person. They are a person who once was somebody else and now is this new person, so that there is a unification of the people who were once separated in the world. And this is what he talks about in verse 10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him, emphasizing the point in him, in Christ. Those who are in Christ, those are in him, are these people who will be unified, gathered together, and those who are not will not be. They will not be gathered together to be a part of the new kingdom of heaven that will be revealed in the dispensation of the fullness of the times. So there will be a separation, and the separation is going to be between, in effect, the unbelievers and the believers, the demons and the angels. So in the end, what he is going to have in the kingdom of heaven will be the believers, those who believe God, who believe what he has revealed, who believe the truth, and the angels who remained with him and did not rebel. The demons rebelled. They decided to go their own way, and they will experience the eternal consequences of that. And those people who have dwelled on this earth, those who reject the truth of God, they will not have a place in the kingdom of heaven either. So he will gather together all things that are in Christ. He's not going to gather together absolutely everything and have the unbelievers with the believers and have the demons with the angels. That is not going to be the way it works out. He is going to have a kingdom of peace, and it will be with those who genuinely want to be there and be there for the right reasons, for those that he defines are acceptable reasons. So there are many mysteries that end up existing. Mysteries exist because people do not believe the truth that God has revealed. There are other mysteries that have to do with the purposes and objectives that God has had. And there are also additional mysteries with regards to how he would accomplish the objectives that he has had. But in the end, he will gather together all things that are in Christ. Those things, those people will be gathered together and we will all have a place of peace and rest with him throughout all eternity in the kingdom of heaven. So, in effect, anything that we do not know of our God or about our God, anything we don't know can be classified as a mystery. But in this case, in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul is presenting the mystery of the Jew and the Gentile becoming one in Christ, and that this was predetermined 
when God created the foundations of the earth to begin with, to unite the Jew and the Gentile into the new creation in Christ Jesus. I will continue with this in the next program. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net